Hello everyone, it's Paul. And I'm Kelsey. And this is the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. We believe goodness can be a successful strategy for good leadership. Our purpose is to spark positivity and what's possible thinking in leaders like you, so you can radiate goodness today and every day. Our mission is to spread goodness because we believe goodness pays. I'm Paul Botts, the founder and CEO of Good Leadership Enterprises. We're recording this in the aspiration suite of our offices in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I make my living as an author, executive coach, and professional speaker. And I'm Kelsey Meyer-Shackle, an executive coach who gets to do a lot of work with good leadership. You can find more about us and Paul's firm, Good Leadership Enterprises, at goodleadership.com, and check us out at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, and now here on this podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and our website, goodleadership.com. And as always, we invite you to leave ratings, reviews, and comments. So before we get any deeper into the podcast, I want to share one of my favorite quotes from Dale Carnegie. The quote is, if you are not in the process of being the person you want to be, you are automatically engaged in the process of being who you don't want to be. I really love that quote because it because the promoting goodness process requires authenticity. Here with me today is Jennifer Huber. She's from the Dale Carnegie Organization. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, Paul. Great to be here today, and thanks for having Carnegie. Sure. You're here because Dale Carnegie is sponsoring this podcast, and we're really thrilled about that. We are excited, too. We really believe that goodness pays, and our companies have the same idea of what thriving together means, and that's why we just wanted to sponsor you guys. There is a direct connection between human relations, inclusion, and authenticity. And both of our organizations strongly believe that. And we also heard that from today's leader, Greg Cunningham. Thank you, and I agree. Our firms are on different railroad tracks, but we definitely align in more ways than not. Can you explain that to our audience a little more? Yeah, you bet, Paul. So our courses help people develop hope, confidence, courage, better human relationships. They're for people who sell, lead, present, just need to work better together. We are deeply rooted in our 100 years of human relations, which is the foundation of an inclusive being, inclusive work team, and hopefully transpiring that into our cultures. And as Greg said this morning, good leaders show up as students, not just teachers. Yes, absolutely. So if you want to tap into the deep well of courage that's inside of you, Check out the time-tested solutions that Dale Carnegie has to offer at dalecarnegie.com. Today, we're featuring Greg Cunningham from the Good Leadership Breakfast that happened just this morning. Paul, will you tell us a little bit more about the breakfast and how it came to be? Yeah, absolutely. Today was a spectacular day. It was the end of our ninth year of doing this. We had our 72nd Good Leadership Breakfast. Uh, it was sort of an out-of-body experience, sort of walking people through all the, the years and the speakers and all the messages. So essentially what we do is we host a breakfast with a speaker who's willing to talk about the intersection of their personal and professional lives, particularly getting their perspective on how goodness pays. What was also cool about today is that we launched our new book. We handed out uh, personalized gift copies for the How Goodness Pays book to everybody in the audience. It was a ton of fun. Yeah, our table was pumped about it. And it was an incredible capstone. Greg Cunningham was so fun and inspiring to listen to. So will you tell us how you decided to have him be the capstone speaker for this year? Yes, um, the process of choosing speakers is really important. And we were very strategic and intentional about it. And Greg represents a whole bunch of things that are very important. He's an African-American male who had very humble beginnings. He's risen through the ranks in three different Fortune 100 corporations. 
He made a career change from marketing into diversity and inclusion work. Uh, he is a father. He's a pillar in the community. And he's willing to talk very openly and honestly about his personal struggle, his personal confidence. And then when you find somebody who's got all that and also is this radiant personality that can grab a room and tell a joke, I mean, he was he was perfect. Yeah, he was phenomenal. We're so excited to share what he had to say with all of you. Well, then let's just get right into it. What I want to talk to you about today, which is um, authenticity, um, because that's the one thing where um, I have recently found the courage to continue to show up um, as just my authentic self. Um, there's only one version of me, um, which is why I dress like a banker today. <laughs> there's some US bankers here today. They're looking at me like. <laughs> um, but authenticity really has been um, a critical element in, in, in my journey um, through corporate America and I want to share with you how important I think it is um, in your success equation. Um, this notion of bringing your whole self, being uncompromising in who you are and what you value. Because what I think the, the most authentic leaders do and what good leaders do is they radiate goodness, right? When you see Paul and the minute you meet Paul, which is why I went, up, went right up to him when I saw him at that photo shoot, because there was just something about him, like this goodness just sort of radiated from him. And then he started talking about goodness. I'm like, yeah, like it just, it, it just fit so well. I, um, I want to start um, by talking about what I do. Um, I lead global diversity and inclusion for US Bank. Um, I've been married to Jack, Jacqueline Lloyd Cunningham for 26 years. My wife is here this morning. Um, we have two kids, my youngest, uh, Whitney, is studying uh, film and television production in Los Angeles at Loyola Marymount University. Her dream is to be Shonda Rhimes, right? I'm like, I'm good with that. <laughs> Let's do that. My son is, a, um, is on the East Coast. Um, he's in school at Williams College in Massachusetts. He's a student athlete, six foot two, 190 pounds, built nothing like his dad, you know, good looking, athletic. You know, and if he were standing here, you could tell he's a student athlete. And, you know, you would think baseball, football, maybe basketball. My son's a hockey player, right? So we call him LeBron Gretzky. And, the, you know, the fact that you got that joke means the rest of this is going to go really well. Okay, so I think we can agree that was a pretty authentic start, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the last time we had so much laughter in the beginning. So would you let's fill in a couple of the of the blanks here. So would you describe his outfit? <laughs> yeah. See, he's a banker, right, right? Right, right? So he didn't show up in banker's clothes. What was well, he wearing? Yeah, so to describe it essentially it was not a suit. The simplest way to put it is he showed up in sneakers. He looked very put together, but not a suit, not a banker look. Yeah, he had the this, these distinguished it. gray jeans and this black sweater and a tie, but he had white Puma tennis <laughs> shoes on. That was, that, was, that was awesome. Okay, yeah. and how funny was the LeBron Gretzky comment? I know. Well, especially being in Minnesota, like, we get it. Yeah, we get hockey we, for we sure. We get it and we get it. Yeah, Diversity that's a, and hockey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, very few black hockey players. So, I mean, that was a fantastic start, and it, it was obviously – uh, we were in the presence of someone who was both powerful and really comfortable mm -hmm. with themselves. And I thought that that was, that was a great start. He put the room at ease. Yeah. So then now let's listen to how he tells more about his real story. Yeah. 
as I moved into the working world, moved into corporate America, I've worked for U.S. Bank is now my third Fortune 500 company I've worked for. You know, I always had this feeling um, deep inside of a bit of inadequacy. You know, I didn't go to a top 10 school. Um, you know, I did have an MBA, but it wasn't like the top 10 schools. And it wasn't until there was a moment I was at um, a company and our, our chief marketing officer used to have this Monday morning staff meeting. Monday morning, eight o'clock, uh, you know, typical, we've all been in these meetings, right? You, you go through the business of the day, you talk about priorities for the week. And towards the end of the meeting, there'd be maybe 15 minutes uh, left where you'd go around the room and everybody would sort of give an update on what they're working on, um, typical staff meeting. And I remember always having like that Sunday evening blues, you know, that, that Sunday evening feeling we all have when you think about what's coming up next week. And there's this Monday morning meeting at eight o'clock and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what am I gonna talk about tomorrow? You know, sound smart, sound smart. You know, don't say anything, you know? And I would always go out and leave that meeting thinking like, oh, why did I say that? You know, I should have said it this way. And you know, that sounded stupid, you know? And it, there, was, there was one day I, I went to the meeting and it, it came around to me and I said, you know, I'm just gonna talk about a personal experience that I, I, I had. And what I wanna share is I took my kids to see the, a movie this weekend. You know, we took our kids to see this movie called Aquila and the Bee. And if those of you who are familiar with the movie, Aquila and the Bee is about this little black girl who grows up in Compton, California. She ends up winning the script, the script spelling bee. Um, the story of the movie was less important than the movie itself. That was an independent film, and Starbucks was one of the underwriters of that film. And the reason that was important was because the CEO at the time, Howard Schultz, talked about the reason Starbucks got involved was because he wanted his employees and he wanted people to understand that Starbucks was in the experience business. They weren't in the coffee business. They were in the experience business. That coffee was the, was the vessel by which they delivered um, on this experience. And it started this whole conversation about, okay, so what business are we in? You know, yeah, we're in a retail business, but what business are we really in? And it was that moment where I just went, <sighs> you know, that moment where you could exhale and our CMO kind of looked at me for the first, you know, where I felt like he really looked at me, like I see you right now, you know? And it's that sense of belonging, right? That sense of, wow, like I am good enough. And all the stuff that I used to think about were a deficit for me, growing up in a single parent household in the inner city of Pittsburgh, going to a small black college in the deep south, you know, all those things that I used to, to hide from and sort of uh, uh, suppress, that actually was my superpower. You know, that perspective that I brought, that life experience was actually a benefit. And if a company can sort of look at each of us individually and start to value that, imagine the power. Okay, wow. So he just landed on it right there. What, it, what was your reaction when you heard that that's my superpower? Yeah, uh, there's a, a couple of things. There's complexity to this idea. Like his superpower... The, his life experiences are what bring him empathy and wisdom and, and these things that we can all see in our own journeys. But I feel like what he didn't say there and says later is that undergirding it is this courageous vulnerability. Because if what he was longing for was belonging, you, you can't have that until you're seen. 
and and that's what he did in that instant and and is it sounds like is the work he's been doing to be the authentic person he is yeah i it has me wondering what do i think my superpower is i mean really that's a that's a that's a big idea and i'm going to spin on that for a while it's it's interesting he used word vulnerability i wrote it right here vulnerability and self doubt he went from this entertaining joke telling self deprecating guy that had us laughing into a wow <laughs> I don't know really who I am and this vulnerability and self-doubt. And I, uh, one of the things that happened today was that we gave out the How Goodness Pays book project. That book took five years. Um, I had serious low moments of self-doubt. It was, we had to hang in there. We had lots of criticism. We had controversy. And there were several times when I thought to myself, why am I even doing this? And in ways that caused me to question sort of who I am, what am I doing? So when he talked about that self-doubt, I was like, wow, I, I kind of went through that recently. So I had this connects with him that we haven't even talked about yet. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I also want to watch Akila and the Bee again. Yeah. Right? I remember yeah. watching that with my children thinking, this is cool. And I hadn't been reminded about that until he brought it up again. Pretty significant. Yeah, well, it's, and it's... Um powerful to see how you I mean this is his story is bringing a part of who he is into that work setting that allowed other people to see what else he could bring you you shared a little bit about how that transformed that that sort of perspective started to transform what his role was and got him to the role he is now yeah the part that he didn't talk about was he was about to help his company at the time go into a totally new ethnic market for their retail services and they were struggling until they had that conversation and deployed a different group of people to listen differently about how that retailer could help their community and that proved out to be a very rewarding strategy both profitability wise and for his career well let's keep going let's uh, talk about um, let's listen to how this job uh, is alive in his life today I actually didn't choose this job at all the job actually chose me you know as Paul said I spent most of my career in marketing and when the company first asked me to do diversity and inclusion I was like mm, I'm not even sure I understand what the job is you know like <laughs> really I don't have an HR background I don't have a diversity background but you know, but it, but it seemed like at the time, like the, 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 the narrative that companies were putting out around diversity inclusion needed to change. And how it ties back to good leadership, Paul, is how do we as leaders create space for all different kinds of voices? You know, good leaders make space for others. You know, it is about how do we all thrive, both personally and professionally. How do we thrive in a culture of, um, of shared accountability? And when I think of accountability, I think of, of, I think of it as in terms of accountability for each other. You know, how do we, how do we um, uh, take care of each other in these work environments? How do we create positive team environments? Um, that's, to me, a new narrative around what inclusion is. There are five things I think that are really important around authenticity. The first one is courage. Courage, I think, is the most important skill we can have because without it, think about how difficult it is to, to leverage any of the other skills with any consistency without courage. It has been the one that has been the toughest for me. It's been the one that's the longest journey, but it is foundational to everything else in how, you want, how I want to show up as a leader and how I want to show up as a human being in the workplace. Well, I'm... 
I'm thrilled that the work we did to define goodness as this idea that people will thrive together um, is memorable enough that sticking in the mind of somebody like this guy. Um, that's, that's really humbling. But what really grabbed me was this idea that courage is a skill. And I look at this guy who has gone through so much, such a powerful man in so many ways, and to have him say that courage is the most important, is the thing he struggled with the most. I mean, it took me a while before I could actually listen again because that was really stuck in my brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. How about you? Yeah. I, well, I I am so drawn to the word courage. Uh, Brene Brown writes about it and talks about like the actual origin of the word. Cur means heart. And so there's this tie of like your heart's, your mind speaking your heart. And that's the truth of courage. Um, and I, I just see that alignment in him. We talk about this a lot when we think about good leaders. And you you talk about this idea of bringing your personal and professional lives together. And where do, where do those things fit? And he, at the very beginning, his there's only one version of me. Mm-hmm. I just thought was so powerful. I, I was in a small group recently and they kicked off the get to know you part with so who's the Facebook social media version of you? Yeah. And then who, who's the real you? Yeah. Like what, what else is yeah. going on behind the scenes? And I think there's, it, I mean, it comes back to he is courageous in what he's sharing yeah. in this conversation. Yeah, it's interesting. I never thought about it that way, but it actually doesn't take much courage at all to have two of you. Right. It right. takes a lot of courage to be the same person all the time. Well, he had a couple other things he talked about. Let's listen to those as well. The second one is awareness. And when I think of awareness, I think about not only self-awareness for me, but how am I aware of difference of, of other people? How do I embrace difference? You know, when I think about in meetings when, you know, you ever been in these meetings where like the same people's ideas are always the ones that win because they talk the most, <laughs> right? <laughs> what good leaders do is they actually pull out the ideas from the introverts too, right? After the meetings, the introvert might not want to share it in the meeting. You know, or the guys who are always mansplaining over the women, right? But it's being aware of these things and being aware of difference and being able to work across difference. The third one is purpose. And purpose, I love this one because I was watching this TV show a couple years ago and there was this little girl um, on this show with the source of all truth in the world, right? Oprah Winfrey. She, I mean, right? <laughs> but this little girl asked Oprah, she said, you know, Oprah, what advice would you give to a young girl to be successful? And Oprah said, as only Oprah could, she's like, I would give you the same advice I'd give any girl or any boy for that matter. That the number one responsibility you have in life is to understand why you're here. Like I literally stopped in my tracks in front of the TV and was like, did she just say, you know, wow, like how powerful is that? And it sort of set me off on my own journey to understand why am I here? You know, I can keep doing these marketing campaigns or I can really start to be a force of change um, in a corporation and do this work of diversity, equity, and inclusion. The next one is trust, which is really at the heart of authenticity. Right? You can't have any, I don't care what relationship you're talking about, personal or professional, no relationship is going to work if you don't have trust. And that's what authenticity is all about. Authenticity is about building trust, which is at the core of any healthy relationship. And then the final one is values. There is no, there is no white space between 
who I am as a person and what my personal values are and what I get paid to do for U.S. Bank. None. It's in complete alignment. And when I did the really hard work around purpose, it, it became a filter for me to decide what types of the work I would do, who I would do it for. And so understanding your values and what are the things that are non-negotiable for you? And does your work align with those personal values? It's a really important exercise to go through as you think about authenticity and good leadership. Okay, what did you hear in items two through five? <laughs> I mean, there's so much good stuff in two through five. But the part that really jumped out to me was the piece around purpose. So we've talked about that before. We've talked about Richard Leiter, who was here speaking about purpose. And there's woman Tara Moore who's um, writing about that. And I think two things. One, um, the bigness and importance of it and how it can be sort of like a the direction setter or the filter. Um, and realizing how overwhelming that can be to people to feel like, and, and Richard Leiter talked about this, that, you know, it, it doesn't have to be this big thing that you solve. Um, so the, the thing I was thinking about was how do you, how do you boil that down into um, in this moment sense of how do I connect to purpose? So what's the, what's the purpose and why I'm here in this moment or in this space, as well as what's my, why am I here purpose? And yeah, I, um, Ever since Richard Leiter came to the breakfast and we debriefed that particular breakfast when he was there, it became obvious to me that a piece of my purpose is to inspire people to have the courage to actually think, talk, and act out goodness in the workplace. And we do that in lots of different ways. But on the Good Leadership Breakfast mornings, we have about 220 people that our goal is to inspire them to go radiate goodness. And I think that, that what, if nothing else, we help them be aware of what that's like, what it feels like to notice who does that stuff. And so this the awareness piece that he started with was really kind of what, what grabbed me first and maybe from a very different context. So my sister was in the audience today. She does diversity and inclusion work. She's a, a colleague of Greg's. Um, she has a very interesting story in the fact that her husband, Earl, who's one of my best friends, um, he is 50% African-American, 50% Native American. And so the two of them together have these absolutely gorgeous multiracial kids who are growing up in an artistic high school in South Minneapolis um, who are largely identifying themselves with the black community. And I watch them grow and I watch how their um, hairstyles have changed and their clothing choices. And now one of them, um, the oldest one, Birch, is looking at colleges. And so he's recently toured the white colleges of the Midwest, and he's gone out east to visit the black colleges. And I'm fascinated with his journey. I can't wait to ask him who he thinks he is and what kind of awareness has come through that. It was really alive in me because I want him to identify with people like Greg Cunningham so much. So it's really, I had a lot going on while that was happening, and it's kind of fun that I can, you know, have this venue to talk about it. Yeah. Well, he continues by summarizing a little bit about um, vulnerability. So let's, um, let's listen to the closing part of his talk today. And so some of the things I, I think that good leaders do and how they exhibit good leadership is they share their story. Good leaders are vulnerable. Like they're willing to tell their story because in telling your story, you give, you give space for others to do, to do the same. Okay, so now just a little reminder about the format of the breakfast. Following the traditional keynote address, I get to do 
uh, an interview where we sit on bar stools in front of everybody, and I pressed him on his story. The thing I was so interested in was why he, when he said courage was the most difficult, it was an important skill, but difficult for him. So I got right into that, into the interview. Let's listen. As I was listening to your conversation with us, there were several different things that kind of stuck out to me. And I had sort of my mind made up about what I was going to ask you. And then you said, courage, that's the hardest one for me. Yeah. Will you tell us a little bit more about that? I think courage has been the toughest for me because courage is all about confidence. And I think, you know, as I was saying earlier, for so long, um, you know, if people tell you something enough times and over a longer period of time, you actually start to believe it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this experience I had as a really young child in, a, um, in this school environment where um, I was made to feel less than, I, I can't think of any other way to say it, um, but you start to believe it. And so, you know, stepping into the, the work world, I had to gain the confidence um, to courageously show up as who I was and to bring my full self and bring everything in my toolbox with mm -hmm. me. Um, it's been a journey. I mean, and it has taken me a long time to get to the point where I could sit up here with Pumas on and mm -hmm. say I'm a banker, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. that, th that was a thing. That yeah. was like a thing last night. Like, if you yeah. wear the Pumas, don't wear the Pumas, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Amen to and that. So can I right? get it, you know, I wore the Pumas, so yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, fantastic. You're itching to say something. Let's hear it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, it's, I love how he's come around on that and that we get to see him stepping into something. But the, my first thought when he said courage is all about confidence was no courage is about when you do it anyway like it's the whole it's you're exercising the muscle to say i don't feel confident or i, I am afraid and you're doing it anyway which i think he's done clearly but that was my initial no what about you well i um so it's funny confidence is such a broad 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 subject there are certain things in my life that i'm so confident on and other things that i am so not confident on and i just was like caught in between that going wow i think i need to tap into some of that uh greg cunningham energy around a couple of those things and you know it's just uh it's we could talk about courage and confidence for the next hour um he then also in i i asked him about his kids and I think it was really important for all of us, you know, Midwestern white people to hear what he said. So let's listen. Let's talk about your kids a little bit. So you're one on yeah. the East Coast, one on the West Coast. You're watching them from afar. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you see in them that you really like as they're living their lives? I, what I like about them is, was sort of the, the nature of your first question around courage and confidence. My kids are incredibly confident. Um, they don't have that same fear and hesitation that um, I did, you know, when I was that age. Uh, a really good example was my son. We were in New York City recently, and we were walking down Fifth Avenue in New York, and he sees, you know, I don't know, it was like Gucci or, you know, those stores <laughs> on Fifth Avenue, like those boutiques. And he just, he's like, oh, Gucci. Like, he just, like, walked in. Like, I'm going in, you know? Mm -hmm. And I would, you know, as a young, you know, teenage black boy, I would have never thought about going to like a Gucci, like they're gonna follow me around the store. And you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't have had the courage to just like walk in like I belong here. And like, you know, he was just walking around like show me the shoes that are $250 flip flops. And I was like, you ain't getting those, but I'm glad you, <laughs> you know, my mom was like, don't look at nothing, don't touch nothing. 
because you ain't getting nothing. <laughs> but he just, but it, I just so admire that. Like he doesn't have that, neither one of my kids have that barrier of like, I don't belong. They just feel like, hey, like that we've been taught to, to think that we're as good as anybody else and we belong here just like anybody else. So I guess what I'm hoping for is that my nephews feel the same way his kids do. It's just amazing to me that um, I, I never experienced that. I, I, I never experienced it. So what were you thinking when he told that story? Yeah, actually sitting on it a little bit, I think um, my first thought was, well, that still happens. That happened to Oprah in Paris. Like, but maybe the, the growth or the maturity in some ways has been that um, for his kids, if that were to happen to them, there's an out, a sense of outrage. Not like this is how it is, but this is how it is and it's not okay. And there's more people, a gaining momentum of people who also feel that way. Yeah, and um, I guess that's progress. Yeah. One more thing that we need to include, it's the last question that you asked him. It was about the work that he's doing. Um, he just, he, had a, he went into a really interesting story and we think we can't leave you without it. Um, where do you see goodness in that work that we just might not be able to see from our perspectives? I see goodness in that um, people are starting to feel that U.S. Bank is a safe um, space, and I mean safe emotionally. Um, when I first took the job of uh, diversity and inclusion, um, I remember one of the first things we did is we went on a listening tour. You know, I really wanted to get a pulse of the organization. And before I rolled out like this grand strategy, I really wanted to understand, you know, what were the pain points and what were people feeling? And so we went on this listening tour and I'll never forget, I was giving, you know, I was giving the presentation and, you know, I'm sure we've all been there. You know, there's always one person in the audience who just is not like feeling what you're talking about. Like there was this guy in the back of the room, he's just sitting there like this the whole time. And, you know, and I'm thinking like, wow, like, you know, if I can reach him, you know, I'm good. And finally, at the end of the meeting, you know, he raised his hand and he said, I have a question. You know, I'm a middle-aged heterosexual white male and I want to know why there's no, you know, white male business resource group. And I like literally like ran over to him and I like hugged him. And he's like, why are you touching me, first of all? Like, what is going on? <laughs> And I said, no, the reason I did that is because I really appreciate you asking that question. Like, and I really feel like it's important that you ask that question because that had to take a great deal of courage for you to ask that. And to me, you know, the work of inclusion means everybody. It's not about excluding anybody. And I know we're on the right path when we have people who are willing to courageously ask those kinds of questions. And to me, that is good work. Um, because everybody feels um, a sense of belonging and everybody sees themselves enrolled in the work in some way. Okay, so let's just state the obvious. That guy is basically me, you know. <laughs> you know what? Middle-aged, heterosexual, white guy who's, you know, owns a business and has power in that way. And I just, I, that, I thought the way he stated that was just just simple and profound for me. What did you think? I mean, you're, you're struck by his gracious response. Yeah. That. And um, it's not always merited, but it's always appreciated. And what a way to his message that inclusiveness is for everyone is pretty hard to argue against. Well, I think that was a fantastic way to end a really successful year and a year of nine of these breakfasts. Um, 
it's um, very exciting to think about where we were and where we're at now and the kind of messages and the caliber of speakers we're attracting. It's very, very satisfying. So part of this podcast always, though, is what's the actionable insight? Where can we take the carpe diem, seize the message out of this? So what did you um, what did you hear that you think we should carry forward? Gosh, he left us with so many great nuggets. The thing I wanted to come back to was the why are you here? And so my challenge for myself and my coaches and for you listening would be, why are you here? What's that little bit of why are you here in this moment? But then how does that feed into your bigger story? Yeah, mine's similar to that. I was really struck by the superpower concept. And then that was just really came out of nowhere for me. And I was like, wow, superpower. So I think of myself as an author, a speaker, and an executive coach. And those are things I do, but I wonder what's the, what, what's the glue that keeps those three things together that I would say is my superpower. Uh, that's going to be in my mind for a long time. Yeah, good. So now it's always important for us to send you away with the main message on this uh, from this podcast. So Kelsey, what is that main message? Goodness pays. Yes, it's goodness pays. And now let's hear Greg say it. Goodness pays. Thank you very much for investing the time in this podcast, whether you're exercising or driving or just listening to it in a contemplative way. Maybe you're waiting for an airline or something like that. We really appreciate your investment and we hope that What you heard here today is going to spark that positivity and give you the courage to radiate goodness. Thank you very much. We'll see you again next year.